Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. European shares are falling with copper and zinc while the dollar in German bonds climb as investors assess the impact of China's growth plans and the potential for European Central Bank stimulus measures this week. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. U.S. stock index futures are lower. S&P E-mini futures down 9 points. Dow E-mini futures down 56. And Nasdaq E-mini futures down 22. Tax in Germany is down 1.1%. CAC in Paris and FT100 both down more than 1%. As well, ten-year Treasury down eight thirty seconds. The yield one point nine zero percent. Yield on the two-year point eight eight percent. Nymex crude oil up six tenths percent or twenty one cents to thirty six thirteen a barrel. Comex gold is down three tenths percent or three dollars forty cents to twelve sixty seven forty an ounce. The euro a dollar oh nine six one. The yen. 113.50. And Celdex Therapeutics of Needham, Massachusetts is now down 51% in early trading after saying it'll stop a final stage study of an experimental brain cancer vaccine. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Again, futures negative nine, a bit of a deterioration in the tape. On this Monday, it is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Paula Dwyer, a columnist with Bloomberg View. The Republican establishment, with Mitt Romney in the lead, is hitting back against Donald Trump. Yet no matter how many party elders pile on, Trump keeps winning. And polls show 49% of Republican voters support him. Let's face it, the Republican elite has lost control of the agenda. To win it back, author and social scientist Charles Murray says the GOP should rethink bedrock policies, including a relentless focus on tax cuts, endless attempts to repeal Obamacare, and opposition to improvements in the social safety net. Such ideas are heresy among the Republican elite, yet they'd be good for Trump supporters, mostly white, non-college-educated, and lower-income voters. They haven't seen wages go up since the 1970s. The factories that once employed them have shipped out. Seen through his base, Trump's anti-immigrant and anti-free trade views make some sense. Yet the GOP has done little to help them. Trump exposes the ineffectiveness of Republican policy, but he does so by manipulating and encouraging racial and ethnic animosities. To the condemnation of Mitt Romney and many other party elders, let's hope they're not too late. I'm Paula DeWire, a columnist with Bloomberg View. For more commentary and opinion, please go to BloombergView.com. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Michael, always good to talk to Ian Shepherdson. Yes, terrific uh, to have him on with us. And uh, you were talking, Ian, as, of course, the chief economist at Pantheon, uh, you were talking before the break about the outlook for the economy picking up uh, as the year goes on and for earnings rebounding. But we're not seeing the same thing in corporate earnings. And I'm wondering how whether the, the growth pickup actually translates to earnings and whether companies can continue to give raises if we don't see uh, earnings rise. Yeah, it kind of depends where you are, really. I mean, if you're a manufacturing exporter and you're selling things to Asia and you're competing with 
exporters from other countries, it's going to be very difficult for you because the dollar's a problem. It's very strong. Um, you're suffering weak demand in some of your key markets. Obviously, China's one of them, but others as well. Uh, and for you, things are going to be a real struggle. So, unfortunately, for those sort of businesses, the pickup in wage growth, which they can't really avoid because they're all competing for the same pool of labor, that's just a margin hit. But if you are a domestic-facing business, a service sector business in particular, with mostly domestic customers not worried about the strength of the dollar, then for you it's much more manageable because the pickup in wage growth, of course, just means your customers have got more money to spend. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to recoup, recoup every dollar of extra wage growth because you may lose a bit of market share. Somebody else might come into your space. But in aggregate, it should be okay. And so for those businesses, which, remember, are the overwhelming bulk of, of U.S. corporations in that domestic consumer-facing space, the wage pressure is not the end of the world. But certainly there's a minority of, of companies uh, externally focused, uh, dollar-sensitive, and for those, it's going to be extremely difficult. It already is extremely difficult. This is not a new story. It's just likely to intensify over the course of the year. But I've got to say, it doesn't mean that the, the whole manufacturing sector, which, of course, has most of the exporters in it, uh, is going to perform as badly as it did last year because one of the big drags last year was the massive collapse in capital spending in the oil business. And that's pretty much over now. It, you know, it's fallen so far that it cannot fall again as far as it did last year. We, we, we've probably taken CapEx in oil from a peak of about $200 billion annualized down to about 50. So it cannot fall as far again. Yeah. And that was a really big hit on manufacturers. So less pain uh, from that source, but they're going to have to deal with that wage problem. Yeah, I don't want to catch you uh, by surprise here, Ian, but you're so good at this. When I look at full and part-time employment, Jill Malinsky uh, writes it up at Advisor Perspectives. And the, the bottom line is part-time employment is better. There's less of it and more full-time. But part-time employment is is 35% higher than it was at the bottom. We were at 13.5% a million years ago. We got up into the 20s, and we've come back to 18.2%. So we've moved from 13.5% to 18.2% of America. Which way is it? Is it part-time America, or are we actually moving in the right direction? Well, we are moving in the right direction, but there's still an enormous legacy from from the crash period, which distorted so many of these labor market numbers, and, and, and not all of them, many of them, haven't yet reverted to where they were before uh, the great crash. Um, this is a, you know, there's still an awful lot of people in these part-time jobs who want full-time jobs, but at the very same time, surveys of businesses are telling us that they're saying they can't find the people they want to hire. And this is one of these apparent contradictions that we can't really resolve with the data that we've got. I mean, why would it be if you've got millions of people who want to work full-time? They're currently employed. It's not like they, you know, deadbeat who aren't going to get a job. They've got a job. They want to work full-time. And at the same time, employers are saying we can't find the people we want to hire. So I don't know whether, nobody knows whether this is a geographic problem, that the people are in the wrong place, or whether it's a skills problem. I think that's more likely. Or maybe it's a sector problem that, you know, we've got a lot of people maybe working part-time in sectors where the growth isn't very strong, and where growth is stronger, they don't have the right skills. We don't know. But certainly there's, there's several million people who would love to have a full-time job, and, and several hundred thousand companies who want more full-time employees. You would think it would work out, but it isn't. So some, there's a mismatch somewhere. Well, the the one thing that is clear is that even with all that, the Fed is pretty much there with the employment part of their mandate. What do you see happening with inflation going forward? Well, here's the thing. Janet Yellen said back in December that temporary factors, the strong dollar and the drop in oil prices, are holding down the core PCE deflator, which is the Fed's target measure of inflation, holding it down between a quarter and half a percent. The target's two. 
and the current rate, the latest data that we have, is 1.7. So you add back in those temporary factors and core inflation on the Fed's own target measure is already at 2 to 2 and a quarter. Uh, the Fed's forecasts don't show them reaching that 2% target until the fourth quarter of 2018, two and a half years from now. And yet the very same data that the Fed targets are showing already, using Yellen's own calculations, that the underlying rate is already there. This really worries me because I think a Fed that wasn't so rabid in the headlights when confronted with slowdown in China would have been hiking rates much more quickly. Uh, and the longer that they delay it and the more they find excuses looking at international developments and worries about overseas economies, none of which have very much bearing on the U.S. domestic labor market, the more uh, the danger rises that eventually inflation bites them and they have to catch up very quickly with very disruptive and destabilizing rate hikes. The funny thing is, of course, that Yellen keeps referring to this danger, saying, well, if we leave it too long, then we'll have to go more quickly and that could be very damaging. But the action that they're taking seems to me to be raising the very risk that they're setting out in those sort of statements. And I really don't get it. I think they're hugely overplaying the danger posed by China's slowdown uh, and overplaying the danger posed by the manufacturing slowdown, which is real, no question. Manufacturing is very weak, but it's a teeny bit of the economy, and the rest of it's doing much better. And the danger is that that tightening in the rest of it is going to catch them unawares. And, you know, looking at the data by their own terms, they're already at the sort of rates where yeah. monetary policy should be much nearer neutral, and it isn't. Okay, so uh, quickly here, summarize for us. Do you agree with what I heard from Michael McKee, you know, Mike suggesting not with an opinion, but March, no decision, next meeting, no decision because there's no press conference? April 27th? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, it does look to me like if, if they don't go in March, and, and, and it seems extremely unlikely that they're going to move now, um, then June is, is the most likely. And, and the danger is that by the time we get there, things have moved on significantly. Uh, you know, they're already at their mandate uh, in terms of the employment picture, and I think they're very close on the inflation front. So I, I think that, that if they do wait till June, then they'll be going very rapidly after that. And there'll have to be a significant adjustment in the markets uh, in terms of uh, thinking about what the Fed's going to have to do. And it'll all be triggered by the wage numbers because ultimately it always is. The, the added sort of uh, frisson, if you like, is that the actual inflation numbers, mm -hmm which was supposed to be something we didn't have to think about for another two years, uh, could also be forcing them to move at the same time. And history tells you that when you've got accelerating inflation and wages at the same time, things get very yeah. messy very quickly. Ian Shepardson is always brilliant. Thank you so much. With Pantheon. Uh, Mike, I'm going to put out on Twitter on the part-time, full-time question, Jill Maslinsky. It's important when economic data and reports are constructed by a physics and astronomy major from the University of Chicago. I mean, is that qualifications or what? <laughs> Jill Maslinski, I'll, I'll put it, I'll get it out on social. Okay. Just superb work. Rob really, Lowe, really smart. Uh, Rob Lowe tweeting out, Peyton Manning's retirement timed perfectly. He could step in as a candidate at a brokered Republican <laughs> convention. <laughs> we want Ike or whatever the phrase was for 52. We like uh, Ike. Uh, Tom Keenan, Michael McKee, and Peyton Manning. Good morning.